So whose fault is Afghanistan? I may have mentioned in the past that I've been a huge fan of The Economist magazine for, geez, going on 40, 50 years now, ever since I was introduced to it by uh, my mentor, a Spanish translator way back in 1982, when I was working at the Multilingual Bureau at the Secretary of State here in Canada as a Spanish translator. remember him uh, telling me, um, or asking me rather, do you read The Economist? And I said, why would I read a magazine about the economy? He looked at me, sighed, and said, no, you moron. The Economist is simply the, probably the one of the best single sources of news, world news, on the planet. It's been around since the 19th century. Uh, a little right of center for some people, but uh, I find if you want to keep up on what's happening in middle of nowhere Uzbekistan, probably The Economist is your best source for a general understanding of what's happening. Of course, there are, you know, there are websites and podcasts and blogs that go into much more detail, but if you're just, just give me the facts, ma'am, uh, the Economist is is your, I think, your go-to publication. A couple of weeks ago, the front page of The Economist had pictures of Afghanistan and what was happening there. And the title was Biden's Debacle. As if to say that the loss of Afghanistan to the Taliban was Joe Biden's fault. Others have called this an massive American foreign policy failure. And I've even heard the term intelligence failure being bandied about. So what do I make about all this? Well, not surprisingly, as somebody who worked in intelligence for 32 years, I get a little sensitive. My back was up a little bit when I hear the terms intelligence failure spoken by people who probably never worked in intelligence. So let me, let me tell you what I think happened in Afghanistan and why. First and foremost, um, I don't have access to intelligence. I lost my access in 2015 when I retired from the Canadian government. And as a result, all the information that I have on Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, or Lower Slobovistan comes from open source. Like The Economist, like a variety of websites I've mentioned in the past, I spend a couple hours every day reading news sources from around the world to see what's happening, largely on a terrorism front, but also to keep me sort of informed on a number of other issues. And hence, my analysis, the conclusions that I draw in 2021 are, are based solely on open source. I don't have any spooky spy stuff that I can rely on anymore. I've been following events in Afghanistan since my retirement. I've been blogging about it. I've been tweeting about it. I've had people on my podcast, like Bill Malone, who is with the RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who served a year in Afghanistan as, as a cop, as a police officer, wrote a great book called Cops in Kabul. You should really get a hold of it. This is all open source stuff, guys. And yet I knew, or I thought I knew, that Afghanistan was going down the proverbial shitter. And quickly. The Taliban have been engaged in attacks on Afghan National Army, on Afghan police, on civilians, nonstop for the past 20 years. Nonstop. I'm tweeting out Af Taliban attacks on Afghans on a daily basis for the past six years. And that's solely based on open source. Then, of course, a couple years ago, there was a bit of a wrinkle, a bit of a complication in the security environment with Islamic State and Khorasan arising. These sons of bitches were in some part ex-Taliban who felt that the Taliban weren't brutal enough. We all know what Islamic State's all about, right? Raping and 
and murdering and beheading and drowning people in cages and burning them alive, et cetera, et cetera. The question I then have is that if I felt that this was all going south really quickly and that the violence was nonstop, why were there people who were cautiously optimistic about Afghanistan in the wake of a probable, and as we now know, definitive U.S. decision to withdraw? Where was this optimism coming from? Well, in part, it was because we were being sold the line that the Taliban were different. They somehow changed their ways. They were a negotiating partner, as the Trump administration alleged. And we know that former President Donald Trump did, in fact, sit down with the Taliban to try to figure out a way for the Americans to pull out and for Afghanistan not to go to hell in a handbasket in the post-withdrawal period. I would also argue that several U.S. presidents are responsible, in part, for why Afghanistan is the way it is today. George W. Bush, a couple days after 9-11, launches the war on terrorism. I said it a thousand times. Here's the thousand and first time. Declaring war against a common noun is a bad idea, guys. Common nouns don't surrender. And yet we sent thousands of, hundreds of thousands of troops into Afghanistan to try and find bin Laden, try and find al-Qaeda, the ones responsible for 9-11, and build a democracy and build a society that Afghans would be proud of. You would have thought that we realized this doesn't work this way. Then, of course, the Bush administration went into Iraq 2003, which drew a lot of attention away from Afghanistan to look for non-existent weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, as well as Saddam Hussein's links to al-Qaeda, which again were non-existent. I can assure you that in the early 2000s, we had intelligence assets in Afghanistan. We had human sources. We had imagery from satellites. We had SIGINT, Signals Intelligence. I spent 17 and a half years in SIGINT, working for Communications Security Establishment, which is the Canadian version of the NSA. Intelligence wasn't lacking. We had the intel. So when I hear the phrase intelligence failure, my gut reaction is this wasn't an intelligence failure, guys. This was a political failure. I feel like we should have had a process to get these people out earlier. But then everybody mm. will ask me, mm. well, or more intelligent people will ask me, they'll be like, okay, how the f*** does it look if the United States says that they're going to leave <laughs> in six months and they're going to have an extra special expedition process to get all the visa people out? Like, what kind of yeah. a message does that send to the current ANA? And it's like, yeah, yeah f I guess so. Like, f it seems like you kind of just had to, like, unplug the airport and leave at night, maybe. I don't know. But, that, but I, yeah, it seems like a horrible situation no matter what. I, what. What do you think okay. about that? Yeah, go. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll address the first the first one first. So mm -hmm. there's no question that, you know, um, intelligence is what intelligence is. We, we, we gather information. We assess it for, for how true it is. We corroborate multiple sources. And we present our best analysis on what's happening in X, Y, or Z, Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, fill-in-the-blank kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Just because your analysis says something doesn't mean your political masters are going to follow it. There, there's a whole bunch of agendas going on here. Mm -hmm. And there's no question that under the Trump administration, he wanted to get the fuck out of Afghanistan ASAP. Yeah. Right? And that was his number one goal. Like, we're, we're leaving no matter what. I don't give a shit what happens. We're leaving. And he negotiated so, as much as well, which people, some people don't remember that in May, right, we were supposed to be gone by yeah. then. That was if they'd agreed with the Taliban. And then Biden backed that up to September. Yeah. yeah. We had the intel on who was who in the zoo, who they were talking to. And in many cases, what they were planning. The decision to finally pull U.S. forces out of Afghanistan, which was inevitable, they couldn't stay there forever, was based on political considerations. 
and in some part a deliberate misreading utopian pie in the sky everything's going to be okay view of what Afghanistan would become i have a hard time believing with all the assets we had even in the post Iraq invasion period. We didn't down tools completely on Afghanistan. It stretches my disbelief that this was an intelligence problem. This was a decision made, as I said, an inevitable one, to finally pull U.S. forces from Afghanistan and hand the keys to the country over to the government, a corrupt, nepotistic, largely incapable government, despite the trillions of dollars that have been spent, despite the material, military equipment left by the U.S. and its allies. The fact that the Taliban took over in six minutes rather than six months, as many so-called experts felt, doesn't surprise me at all. And I've already I've already have a podcast on what I think is coming down the road in terms of Taliban rule, so I'm not going to repeat those arguments today. I'm just wondering why... In the immediate aftermath of an event as monumental, certainly monumental for Afghans, as the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, when the what I call instant analysis kicks in, while we start pointing fingers at people or at institutions and saying, it's all your fault. Had you done your job better, we wouldn't be in the position we are right now. I'm 60 years old. I'll be 61 in December. I can tell you the world don't work that way. Things aren't as easy as that. They're much more complicated. Uh, Will Taliban and ISIS-K clash? Uh, Will ISIS-K hurt the Taliban's attempt at a a charm offensive and trying to form some sort of government? Will these two clash? That's the $64 million question. I've seen a bunch of analyses uh, that kind of go on both sides of that. So bottom line, Scott, is that the Taliban and ISIS-K are cut from the same cloth. They are Islamist terrorist groups. They're both listed in Canada and in other jurisdictions. I've seen people say that for the Taliban, the ISK are a little bit too much, a little bit too brutal. But I would remind people that in the past, we've seen terrorist groups that didn't really get along, like Al-Qaeda and other ISIS groups in parts of Africa. Actually, they do collaborate. So... I think it's far too early at this point to say the Taliban will, will you know, clamp down on the Islamic State. I've even heard the Taliban will work with the Americans to get rid of ISK. I mean, can you imagine that? The Americans getting in there with the Taliban to get rid of a second group? Like, I mean, that's we're now in la-la land or something because it, it's a completely different reality from what I know. I think we're going to have to see. My advice to you, dear listeners, is that when you read analysis like this and you see The Economist, which I continue to read, like the Bible, it is my go-to source, as I said, for news. When you see headlines like Biden's debacle, you step back and ask yourself, really? Is this really all Joe Biden's fault? Yeah, he's going to wear it because he's the president that was, you know, at the helm when American forces withdrew and the Taliban took over. So, I mean... He's the guy. He's the guy in the hot seat. You can't deny that. But this was not Biden's fault. At least not entirely. This was Biden's fault. And Trump's fault. And Obama's fault. And Bush's fault. We're talking, what, five U.S. presidents there? Four U.S. presidents. That guy lost count. In the end, Afghanistan was most likely going to be a failure, irrespective of what we all collectively did. I think we tried our best. 
Certainly, I know lots of Canadians that went in with the armed forces, with my former employer, Canadian Security Intelligence Service, with the RCMP, as I mentioned. Did a Herculean task of trying to create some conditions for success, but the odds were against them. And as we just saw last couple of weeks, Afghanistan has again fallen to Taliban rule. I'll have to wait and see what happens. Don't do this for me as an ex-intelligence guy. I, I've got a, a you know, I, I, I don't take these things personally. I've got a pretty hard exterior. But when you do your own analysis and you do your own summarization of why something happened, do yourself a favor. Ask the questions. Determine the bias, biases of the people who are writing it. See what their agendas are and then draw your own conclusions. I really doubt this was an intelligence failure. Anyhow, that's what I think about what happened in Afghanistan in terms of the Taliban takeover. Do you agree with me? You think I'm full of it? Love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like the content want to get more, go to the website, borealisthreatenedrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. It's free, guys. You don't have to pay a cent. Get all the blogs and all the podcasts, as well as links to my YouTube channel. And if I may plug one more time, probably not the last time, my new book, The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism in Canada from Confederation to the Present, self-published in January of this year. It's only available on the website. It's only $25 Canadian plus shipping and handling. And it get, it's signed. The signature may be worth something less one day. Yeah, probably not. Anyhow, I'd love to hear from you. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.